It's Wednesday, February 22nd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Andy Cross, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Hi, Chris. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is getting a new CEO. We have earnings from Dell, but we are going to start with Chesapeake Energy. Uh, fourth quarter earnings for Chesapeake Energy and nearly double what they were a year ago. Uh, oil production is way up, uh, but Joe, shares still down this morning. What's going on? Well, one thing you got to keep in mind when you look at a company like Chesapeake is that it's not easy to actually discern what's going on looking at the financials. That's a gross understatement <laughs> with Chesapeake. But when you look at their results, you've got all sorts of moving parts. One is hedges, and some of these things can impact prices. So a lot of times, oil and gas companies will lock in future prices on their production so they can keep a favorable price and they can budget better. Uh, Chesapeake does that, and they've historically been very good at it. Um, this time around, it treated them well. But I think ultimately people were hoping for more production growth potential here, better reserves data than was posted. So the amount of um, actual oil and gas they've got in the ground. And, you know, I don't know how excited investors are about the stock at large. I think people are still pretty skeptical of the asset sale plan. Yeah. And then there's some news that the that some of the prospects in the Bakken and some other fields aren't coming to fruition as I think some people are expected. I mean, there's been a lot of excitement. Just turn on CNBC or read so many headlines out there. A lot of excitement. Jim Cramer's head is going to explode over the Bakken. It's all he talks about. Loves the Bakken. So um, when when uh, when they came out today and said that uh, or yesterday, whenever it was that, um, you know, some of the 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 prospects in in that field aren't as ripe as they had thought Mm -hmm. that that doesn't help. Um, So Chesapeake Energy is the second largest producer of natural gas in the United States. One of the things the company also said um, is that they want to become a top five oil producer in the U.S. Um, so a couple of questions. First, is that a realistic goal for this company? I mean, if you're ExxonMobil or Chevron, are you are you looking over your shoulder worried about Chesapeake Energy just sort of ramping up to that degree in terms of oil production? I'm not sure where to start with your multi-part question. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'll just say, yes, they could get there. No, it's not a threat to Exxon. Um, They could get there. They've got the assets to do it. They've got a lot of production ahead of them. And they could juggle some assets around, focusing their capital resources on producing more oil. That said, I don't think it's necessarily a smart strategy. What most oil and gas companies do is they basically shift capital expenditures towards producing whichever has got a higher relative price at the time, oil or gas. So a few years ago, that was gas, Mm -hmm. and everyone just pumped a ton of money into producing it. Well, now we have too much gas, and so gas prices are low. So now everyone's like, put it all in oil. (laughs) So that's exactly what they're all doing at the same time. Now, I think if you're a three- to five-year investor, which we are at the full, I think that means that natural gas prices are really compelling because you're seeing all this money flowing away from natural gas production. And that won't show up overnight in the price of gas, but it will in a few years. I mean, it's all about the marginal profitability, as Joe was referring to. So the marginal profitability really of gas is just so low right now. So you see all these companies starting to shift their their um, their extraction and production resources over to, to oil, where it's so much higher with oil prices over 100 and and talks of gasoline prices in your car going to five dollars a gallon and and so naturally they're going to chase where where they can feel they can make the most money but as joe said the the risk there is that there's a there's a downside to chasing that that hot commodity and that you put a lot of resources behind it and then all of a sudden they start pumping a lot and the prices of that commodity go down and um, then it's not as profitable anymore 
Uh, Aubrey McClendon, the CEO of Chesapeake Energy, also said that uh, the company's oil services segment would be an excellent candidate for an IPO later this year. You like the idea of them spinning that off? Yeah, this is just one of many hidden assets that Chesapeake has, or at least assets that it has that no one wants to give the company credit for because they don't trust Aubrey. Um, I don't think spinning this off or doing an IPO makes a lot of strategic sense, to be honest, because there is rationale for owning these assets, that it gives Chesapeake more control over its ability to drill and to reallocate uh, drilling resources. So there is you know, benefits of actually possessing this. Now, I think a, a better first step is selling resources that they don't think are long-term winners, and they are doing that. So, you know, credit to them. I would only look at doing this, you know, IPO of the, the services side as an afterthought relative to the other ones. But, you know, do I think it's really going to be a big needle mover? Probably not. I mean, the services business can be great. I mean, National Oil of Arco is just a fantastic company. We follow it in Stock Advisor, and it's just the big behemoth out there when it comes to oil services. So the services business can be very profitable. Like Joe said, it's a hidden asset for Chesapeake. The question is, does it unlock more value for existing shareholders within the company or as a separate company, standalone? So taking all of this into account, the you know the the goal to be a top five oil producer, uh, the potential uh, for uh, spinning off the oil services segment. Um, where do you uh, like the stock right now? Uh, I severely dislike management. I do not trust them at all because they routinely go back and forth on the capital allocation plans. You know the CEO, Chairman Aubrey McLennan, is grossly overcompensated and has been for a long time. I do think they have tremendous assets, and the strategy, at least the one they have right now, which could change in five minutes, <laughs> that they have for unlocking value is a good one. But would I saddle up with these guys? No, because I don't trust the CEO. And you know, I'm willing to forgive a lot of things, but the more time I've spent investing, the more I've come to appreciate the importance of having CEOs who are aligned with outside shareholders. And it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but it's so tempting to look at it just peak and be like, God, this is so cheap. All they have to do is just break this thing up and spin off the parts. But it's never that simple. And, you know, perceptions of management don't change easily either. I mean, it's going to be a long time for people to trust this guy. Yeah. And I mean, you think about a company like Chesapeake that has all these assets and the fact that um, you're so reluctant, not, not just Joe, but many of us are so reluctant to really dump a lot of money or or put a chunk of our portfolio behind them says a lot because they do have these assets there. And, and the question is, will shareholders benefit from that? And I think the, the question mark still stands. Uh, Dell's earnings last night were about what Wall Street expected, but the company also lowered guidance for the current quarter. And Andy, shares are down about 6% this morning. What's the story here uh, with Dell? Yeah, I, I actually own Dell, and it's the one stock you in my own Dell? Yeah, I tell you. How I long have you, how long I've, have you I've owned it? I've owned it for... I've owned it for um, Gosh, I would say at least it's it's more than three years. Okay, um, and it's just it's the stock I look at my portfolio and I scratch my head and I'm just like, what what is going to come? What is the future <laughs> for Dell and for me as a shareholder in this company? And and given what Apple and the success that Apple has had, and so many other companies too. I mean, like, um, but the the fact that Apple is just so drastically changed the computer business now. Dell is is is. You know, much more focused corporate, their corporate business, and, mm -hmm. and um, well, they're trying to spin yeah, it that way. Yeah, well, that's what they're trying to spin. I mean, like, I would never even think about, I mean, buying a Dell computer. We use them here, but I wouldn't think personally. I mean, I would wouldn't even think about it. So, 
they have a brand issue um and they just they're they're facing a juggernaut that is just innovating at a very high level in apple and they just haven't been able to keep up i'm i, I want to dig into dell's operations in just a second but i i'm curious about your ownership of Dell. Yep. Um, and we've talked in this room uh, all the time about sort of, you know, having a thesis when you buy a company. What was your thesis when you bought shares of Dell and to what extent um, has it changed? Yeah, well, it's a val- it was a value play. It was a value play and a, and a corporate play. It was just, um, and, this stock app- is so cheap and yeah. if they have even a little Beating bit of success down, in the corporate Michael world. Michael Dell is coming back, bring some in- initiative back to the company, really show a lot more um, um, innovation than what they have. Um, and past success, and it just hasn't worked out. I mean, it's the smallest slice of my portfolio, and it's just one of those ones that I'm just like, you know what? It's not making me money, any money, and it's just a stock that, that you start thinking about that, and you think about the next, as Joe was saying, three to five years for a company like Dell, and I, you just don't see it as much as a company that Apple, given the fact that Apple still only sells at, you know, 13 times earnings or 14 times earnings, something like that. Like, why wouldn't you do it with Dell? Or well, and Joe, in addition to having, you know, Apple competing with them at the high end. At the low end, you've got companies like Acer um, who are making, you know, sort of well, cheaper... Well, HP. An I HP. mean, a very formidable, large competitor. I mean, yeah, I agree with Andy's points. I think Dell is kind of like the siren of PCs and tech at large, where every value investor at some point is like, it's so cheap. You know what? I know it's got problems. I'm just going to buy it. It's so cheap. And then a quarter like this happens, and you're like, ah, I'm crashed on the rocks with all these other people who fell for this. Yeah, and like you have a little bit of a, re- of a resurgence. They had a, the, in the six months it hasn't yeah. done all that bad, and then all of a sudden they have a quarter like this. <clears throat> tie floods come in, hit them hard, and you just realize that the business really isn't necessarily built – Certainly not built to take on a company like Apple, but you just wonder if they actually are built to take on the new world. Well, the, I like their strategy. Like, I like where they're going with software and trying to redefine themselves. And it, it is working, but still, you've got about 70% of the business that's yeah. old Dell, as we would still think of it. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of the Walmart thesis, how people are like, oh, well, Walmart's it's an international growth story, but only 20, 28% of Walmart's sales are from abroad. Mm-hmm. In reality, you still have two-thirds of the right. business that's this stagnant, commoditized business and you know it's tough to get excited about the economics of that and they're just going to keep getting worse over time and that's why the stock is suffering and barring some major major changes i think it's just going to keep looking cheap for a long time and that's the interesting thing too when you think about the success a company like ibm has had over the last say 20 years and kind of reinvigorating that company but that company didn't have this i mean um, world of Apple and um, the cloud computing and much more um, nimble competitors, I don't think, frankly, that Dell is going to face today. So I, you think about this, and like I said, I look at my portfolio, and it's the one, it's really a stock that I just look at and scratch my head and say, probably doesn't belong and there. And IBM struggled to do it, too. Yeah. I mean, oh, they yeah, went through some easy. tough times to yeah, make that happen. Easy, but it took a, and it took a change from the outside and a lot of thinking and repositioning, too. I like Joe's analogy uh, that Dell is like a siren, but Correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't sirens, you know, in attractive? Literature? Yeah, they're attractive. They're gorgeous <laughs> women with who sing these enchanting songs. What what is ch- enchanting about Dell? I don't know. Maybe he's got the Dell dude. Dell. The Dell. T- <laughs> they're not using they're not the Dell dude anymore, no. right? Yeah. No. I looked him up on Wikipedia the other day. I was curious. The, the, not up to much. The dude you you've got to get a Dell. That was like ten years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. So having young sort of slacker dudes. As your pitch man, you know that's that's that didn't really work out long term. I worked for, for Apple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Uh, William Weldon, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson, will step down in April. Alex Gorski, who heads up the medical device and diagnostics business, will be the new CEO. Weldon will remain as chairman of the board at Johnson & Johnson. Joe Mager, you've been waiting for this. Yeah. Well, you know, if his goal was uh, <laughs> shrinking the P multiple, that the market will pay for the stock and delivering its first down year of revenue since the Depression and tons of product recalls that destroyed brand confidence, then job well done, Bill Weldon. <laughs> so you're saying the, the 10 years of, uh, of Bill Weldon being at the helm of Johnson & Johnson, they're, they're not gonna, we're not going to look back on I them I would say this fondness. is one of the lost decades that we could describe. And Weldon didn't really do himself any favors. He kind of had a Bob Nardelli thing going on. Uh, Bob Nardelli was the CEO of Home Depot, among other yeah, disastrous yeah. Uh, situations, but who was famous for basically being a jerk to his shareholders, among other things, and being overpaid. And in this case, Bill Weldon pretty much doesn't communicate with the street. Um, you know, on conference calls, you would rarely hear from him. And when you did, there was basically just platitudes and there was no real meat behind what he was talking about. And it was like, especially with this latest quarter, it was like, dude, your company has serious, serious problems. Like, you need to step up and own this problem. So, like, when Larry Page had his first conference call with Google as CEO, he did a terrible job with it. And it shook investor confidence. And instead of just being arrogant and being like, well, I'm not going to deal with this again, the next call, he came back and he gave a lot more details and was a lot more transparent. And I think that really did a lot. Whereas Weldon just routinely kept, you know, stiff arming Wall Street and investors. And, you know, I think that just made it all that much easier to finally kick him out the door. Uh, the New York Times uh, at the end of 2011 called Bill Weldon, one of the worst CEOs of 2011, and I'm quoting here from the New York Times, the most complacent chief executive in America has got to be Mr. Weldon of Johnson & Johnson, and maybe the luckiest as well, because he remains in his corner office despite an incredible collection of product recalls from all corners of the company. Insulin pumps, syringes, hip implants, sutures, contact lenses, Tylenol, Benadryl, Rolades, and the list goes on. Um, let, that's fair. That's that's fair. totally fair. Totally fair and prescient. Since you know, here we are, just uh, less than two months later, and and he's he's going to be stepping down as CEO. Um, but we don't want to just take shots at Bill Weldon, although it certainly is. It <laughs> although <isn't>. it's easy, <laughs> although it's easy and fun to do. Um, uh, what's what's one area of your life, Andy, where you you feel like you're a little complacent? Um, I'll go with. I, I mean, I have no designing eye and no um, eye for interior design or any kind of thing like that. So when Jamie, my wife, asked me to, you know, hang up pictures or think about what the room should look like or what the nursery should look like, I'm just like, you know what? I don't care. Just do, <laughs> kind of do whatever you want. Like if the things don't match, like if they're not exactly level, like it's not a big deal with me. And I mean, I just it's just one of those things where I'm just I don't really care. Joe? Well, last night, the fiance, who has her own name, was getting upset because I never do dishes. And my solution to this was, let's get a maid. Because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Look, I, I'm going to be honest. I value my time. I think there are a lot of things I can be doing. And sometimes I forget. But you know what? We can get someone to come in, not every week, but every once in a while. To do dishes? Just, we can, they can pile up. <laughs> wait, wow, it's like wait. I've seen college. Now, now look, now look. Uh, Andy and I 
uh, are both married guys, and and I'm not I'm not looking to I'm not looking to get into your personal business, but I got to tell you, buddy, um, if you're getting ready to walk down the aisle with this lovely woman, and you're having this discussion about doing dishes, was there a reaction to like this? that's your solution? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, what was the? She was bearish. <laughs> 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 She's not a fan. She uh, basically gave the crisp response there, like, "Are you mm-hmm. out of your mind?" Yeah. She's like, "It doesn't take any time." I'm like, wow. Yeah, true. Uh, I'm I'm right there with Andy when it comes to anything to do with with look and design and color scheme. And you know, we've just had a couple of of sort of small renovation pro- uh, projects in our in our home recently, and and thankfully. Uh, my wife Karen is is both very good at that and very interested in that, and base and yeah. and fortunately we've known each other long enough that she just comes to me where it's like just just so you know this is going to be the color of the basement. Great, great. Uh, I, I I'm just uh, and I think you're probably like this too, Andy. Where it's just sort of like I just I just want to avoid the outlier colors. Yeah. Like like I'm going to be good with almost anything. Maybe one out of a hundred colors. So I'm going to be like, oh God, no, just anything but that. Yeah, for me, it's more of like like what goes on the walls. I mean, like for me, it's like okay, well, there's like sports posters or like my old Farrah Fawcett poster or whatever. Like you got to defend like, that. I know you got to defend that, right? On that note, Andy Cross, Joe Mager, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Get a maid? That's for dishes? It seemed like a good idea at the time. We're just going to stack them up in the sink? Hey, allocation allocation of time and resources? Yeah, I mean, right. Look, I I work I work out, I do improv. I eat, I eat, I cook. I love to cook. Don't like doing the dishes with the cooking though. You're also gonna have a hard time finding a maid who wants to come like once every two weeks to do two weeks <laughs> yeah, worth of dishes. Thank you. I mean, there's gonna be a serious recruiting problem.